The reading today is from Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. The first section is Habakkuk's complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help that you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And the Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Amen. So this is uh, week seven in our series, Long Story Short. So far, uh, we've talked about different moments in time or different things that have changed the future for, for God, for people, and for eventually his chosen people. We've talked about the creation, the promise, the exodus, the covenant, the conquest, and the kingdom. And today, we're thinking about the warning. Warnings, as Ray said, are interesting things. What would life be without warnings? Don't overheat, stay hydrated, use sunblock. For those of us who are going to Uganda in the summer, those are really important warnings. Wear a safety helmet and protective eyewear if you are in an industrial setting. You get warnings that have sound attached, the sirens of the ambulances, police and fire engines. Of course, my favorite, if you keep doing that, your face will stay that way. I'm sure some of you must have had that one as well. Sometimes you get the visual warnings that maybe you ignore the 30 miles an hour speed limit, that kind of thing. Some warnings are life and death. You've got carbon monoxide, the little sensor that you put in the house. Because you can't smell it, you don't know that it's there, but it can kill you. And so the warning is literally life and death. When that goes off, you know to get out. 
warnings are there, uh, as we said, for safety, for our productivity. They're there for life itself, to protect us. Uh, when you go back to the start uh, of the Bible in the Garden of Eden, there was this passage that said, if you do this and this and this, things will go well for you. But if you do this, well, there's going to be judgment. It was a warning. When God delivered Israel from slavery out of the hands of the Egyptians, he said, I am going to set you free. But in order to do that, the angel of death is going to come and, and take every firstborn son. In order to save yourselves and your children, you must make a sacrifice and you must take the blood of the sacrifice and put it on your doorposts. And if you do that, the angel of death will pass over. Literally, where we get the Passover meal. Later uh, in their history, when Israel wanted a king, which uh, we talked about last week, they, they go to Samuel and they say, we want to be like everyone else. We see all these nations and we see them with a king and we see how good it is for them. We want to be like them. And Samuel uh, says to them on God's behalf, he, he says, well, here's what kings do. They'll take your money, they'll take your land, they'll take your children. This is not the right way to go. He warned them what would happen if they chose to go down that route. And of course, that was exactly what they did. They went down that route. Eventually, the kingdom of Israel divided into two parts, Israel and Judah. And it wasn't too many years, relatively speaking, before both parts were taken away into captivity. Their poor memory, if you will, led them to wandering away from God, which triggered a spiral towards death. They ignored God, and actually most of the kings of Israel and Judah were not very good. If you want to know how a kingdom works at its best, it's when leaders practice the correct how of leadership. That is humility, obedience, and worship. That's what God had put in place for leaders for his people. He wanted leaders who would practice humility, who would be obedient to what he said, and who would worship him. That's what he got in Moses and in Joshua. But later, when the leaders didn't do that, they started sliding away and towards oblivion. So last week, we had the kingdom of the kings, and this week, we have the prophets and their warnings. God had given the nation of Israel priests whose job it was to represent uh, the people before God. But, you know, you, you see in the, in the news, you get somebody embedded with the troops. And God embeds prophets in uh, amongst his people. And they were there to speak to the people for God. A true prophet always is one who speaks for God. Even today, there are prophetic words. There are warnings and encouragements and challenges that come from folk who have a prophetic ministry. But in those days, there was actually an office of the prophets. When you read um, about Elijah and Elisha, you see there was a school of prophets. They were learning how to, to hear from God and how to be uh, that, having that kind of prophetic ministry in their day. So their duty is to speak God's message to God's people. And when you read them, very often what they are bringing is a message that says, you've got to stop it or else. These were not 
comforting and encouraging words very often. It put them at odds with the people and with the authorities in their day. When you read through the Old Testament, there are major and minor prophets. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. When you read those books, there's a lot of times when you end up going, what on earth is this about? There's stuff in here, and I just don't, I just don't get it. There's all sorts of imagery and things, and it's like, no idea. But they're also uh, considered major prophets because of the length of their books, of, of their writing. Then you have 12 minor prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. I have a friend who is a New Testament scholar. And I remember in a class he said, I think we should just cut the book of Habakkuk from the Bible altogether. And of course, people went, ah, you can't do that. Why would you, what, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? That's sacrilegious. He said, well, let me put it another way. When was the last time you read Habakkuk? Because it's the same difference. If you don't read it, it might as well not be there. So here are these people, mainly men, a few women, and they are characterized by a phrase. And that phrase is, the word of the Lord came to. The word of the Lord came to. These people were the first preachers who expounded and interpreted the, the law that Moses had, had given the people. They, they said, here's the promise that God made. This is the covenant. This is how things work. If you do this, God will do that. If you obey him, God will bless you. If you disobey him, God will judge you. Quite simple and straightforward in that sense. Secondly, they were predictors of future events. When we think of the prophets, we think that they will foretell the future. And to an extent, they do. Uh, there are passages uh, through uh, the, the Old Testament uh, prophetic writing that speak of near future events. We, we see happening in the, in the succeeding years. Here's Habakkuk questioning God about the state of, of things in, in the world. And he's saying, God, all of this hassle, all of the hardship, all of the trouble that we're facing, and you're not doing anything about it, why are you not responding to the, to the cries of your people? What is going on here? That seems quite reasonable. And God says, huh, if you think this is bad, just wait, because the Babylonians are coming. Now that, I mean, the Babylonians were known as, as this, this dreadful, awful, wicked people who, who just, they killed everybody and they left piles of bones by the gates of cities as a warning to, to other people not to, not to uh, rise up against them. And God's saying, I am deliberately, I am choosing to raise them up to get you. Why? Because all these years you've, you've disobeyed me. You've, you've wandered away. You've not done what you were told to do. Here was a covenant. If you do this, I will do that. But if you do that, I'm going to do this. And here's the this about to happen. And so we read on and they're taken into captivity in Babylon. Oh, for a wee bit of bony M coming in there by the rivers of Babylon. What did we do? We didn't rejoice. We sat and we wept when we thought about Zion, when we thought about where we had come from, when we thought about what God had promised us. And here we are in captivity as slaves because we were disobedient. 
Some passages are, are for the, the near future. Some passages, of course, are about things that haven't even happened yet, about future events. Every year at Christmas time, we read from Isaiah. It speaks about one who was going to be born, this, this child who was coming. Isaiah 53 is clearly looking forward to Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born. So they speak about the future. And finally, they, they functioned as watchmen. People like Ezekiel, who warned against political and military alliances and the temptation to idolatry and cultic worship. Of course, there were different personalities. When you read the book of Amos, he was a farmer from the south of, of the land. He came up and he started calling down judgment on the nations round about Israel. And everyone went, oh, great, good. Let's get them. They're bad. And then he said, ah, but, ah, but, God also says to you, you've been disobedient. God also says to you, you've not been listening. God also says to you, and they didn't like it. They didn't like that message. We get that. We don't like it when people tell us, hang on a minute, you have to change your ways. Isaiah is eloquent, sophisticated. Daniel, well, we know about Daniel in the lion's den. He's a man of prayer. He's relational. He has these really great friends. He, he, he's one of the tough guys. Jeremiah, when God comes to him, he kind of reacts like many of us do, a sense of insecurity, saying, nah, I'm only a child. I can't possibly do what you're asking me to do. The quintessential prophet of the Old Testament, probably Elijah. We talked about him two weeks ago on Mount Carmel. He stood against the king and the queen. He was considered a pest uh, to them because he, he kept uh, speaking the words of God against them, saying that they, they, were, they were doing things that were wrong and, and to turn away from uh, worshipping uh, gods uh, from, from the country, the, the gods of Baal. And so he gathers the prophets of Baal together and he says, look, we'll have a wee competition here. You ask Baal to set fire to this sacrifice and then I'll ask God to set fire to my sacrifice. We'll see whose God is real. And then when they're praying and asking Baal to light the fire, he starts to slag them off. He was a bit in your face. I quite, quite like that about him, actually. And then he, he's saying, you know, Baal must be, he must be sleeping. Or maybe he's gone for a walk. Shout louder, he just, he's maybe deaf. Maybe he can't hear you. And then when it gets to his turn, he prays, and God consumes the sacrifice. And they use that event to remind the people of Israel, God's chosen people, that they were to turn back to God. You see, the prophetic messages that we have there express judgment and grace, future hope and present warning, wrath and mercy. So when you read the Old Testament prophets, you'll find judgment and grace, future hope and present warning, wrath and mercy. Sounds a little bit like parenting. What you're saying is here is what you need to do to live for God. And if you do that, God will honor you. But actually, if you don't, then there are consequences. 
And the consequences for them is that they were taken into captivity. The whole nation slid into disobedience and worship of false gods. And the prophets came to speak to them about it. And so, essentially what they're doing is they're coming along all these years after Moses has has brought the law and has taught them and has got them and, and, and then they've got into the promised land and they've had all of that time. And the prophets are essentially coming along saying, how's it going with the law? How are you getting on with that? How's the coveting your neighbor's stuff going with you? What about, um, you know, what about not killing people? How, how's that one going? What, what about, uh, you know, honoring your parents? You doing okay with that? What about, you'll have no other gods before me? How's that one going? Later on in Jesus' life, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, he says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Whether it's the written word or the spoken word, everything hangs on this. Loving God and loving your neighbor. On the Mount of Transfiguration, where you get uh, in the Gospels, you have two people who appear there with Jesus. One is Moses, representing the law. The other is Elijah, representing the prophets. You need the law and the prophets. Warnings are good. They are the preemptive strikes of a loving God. Because people who love you warn you about things. Folk who don't really care, well, they'll let you go up the, the, the wrong way in a one-way street and things like that. Lamentations 3, 22 says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed because his compassion never fails. Warnings therefore permeate this long story, not just this section of the Old Testament, but as you look through the Old Testament, looking at the kings and the prophets, you have northern kings and you have northern prophets, you have southern kings and southern prophets, and that extends for a period of about 500 years. So they can't say they weren't warned. <laughs> you know, they can't say nobody told me. 500 years God sent his word to them to, to care for them, to protect them, to warn them, to guide them, to make it better for them. And so often, they and still we choose to ignore. Then you get to Jesus in John chapter 16. He says this. Just before he's going to the cross, he says, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you'll be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they've never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. And then Paul, and, and writing to Timothy, a, a young fellow that he had trained up and taught, 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21 says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. I tend to be a kind of wanderer in my mind. My mind wanders from, from one thing to another, a bit like a butterfly. I find it difficult to, to concentrate uh, and, and things. 
end up in places that I don't need to be and don't want to be, and that, that's kind of how I find myself. But warnings call us back from our wandering. But actually, that, that's when our selfish kind of nature kicks in, because we don't like to be warned. We don't like to be brought back. We like to do our own thing in our own way at our own time. And so we have this warning from God. Listen to how Jesus speaks of the prophets in Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. So the people that God created for himself are on the run. They wanted to be like their neighbors. Well, see, the problem is when you want to be like other people, you go where they go. You listen to what they listen to. You watch what they watch. You do what they do. And pretty soon you start thinking like they think. But God wants us to think like he thinks. That's how it works. When I do that, when I do that thing that God says, God honors it. When I choose not to, God says, well, there's a consequence. That's still the truth for us today. When I don't remember him, when I forget who I am, when I lose sight of him, I lose my way. And we have to hope that even in our congregations today, there is somebody who is prophetic who will come and say, here's, here's a word from God reminding us to turn back. In Ezekiel, he says, something amazing, that even when we wander off, God will hunt us down. That, that could sound bad in a way, <laughs> but he hunts us down with mercy and grace and love. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, not because you deserve it, I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I'll show how holy my great name is, the name in which you brought shame amongst the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you, before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. In the midst of the warnings, there's a promise of return, of redemption, of restoration. It's a mixed bag. Here is the God who comes along and says, I'm warning you because you need to remember who I am and what I've done. Throughout those hundreds of years of prophetic voices, they were heard over the clash of armies, over the wails of captives and the cries of orphaned children. But they were there to remind the people that God had created them and wanted them to turn back to him. As I was thinking about what to say this morning, I began to wonder what the prophetic voice 
to the Church of Scotland would be in 2024? What does God want to say to his people in these days? We've had so many years of decline, at least 70. We've had a loss of influence. I think there's a lack of urgency. I think we have failed to make disciples who make disciples. I think we measure so often the wrong things. I think we focus too much on how the world will respond to what we think and on trivial things, even as people are dying without Jesus. So what might God want to say to us today? Well, I'm not going to stand here and say, this is what the Lord says. I would not presume to do that. But I think something can be found in a a reading from Acts chapter 4. Just listen to these words. Peter and John had healed a man as they were going into the temple, and it had caused real issue in and around the temple for for the, the, the religious leaders of the day. It says, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And this man stands before you today healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And here's the bit. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus, and that enabled them to do the things that Jesus did. They had been with Jesus, and that emboldened them to speak for Jesus. They had been with Jesus, and he enabled them to live life in all its fullness. And I think there's a call for us today to get with Jesus to come back to him, to put him first. We've got so caught up with with buildings and, and other stuff. We need to put Jesus front and center. We need to remind ourselves it's him we serve. It's him we love. There is no other name under heaven by which we can get to be in relationship with God. And if we are not saying that, if we are not actively saying Jesus is the one, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, if we're not doing that, 
then we are failing in our responsibility as his people. To those people who are not in our buildings, who don't know him, who, who only use it as a word that they say, and they don't understand who he is or what he's done. And if we are not actively saying, we love Jesus and we live for him, then we are failing in our responsibility as his people. It's a call to get with Jesus, to come back to him, to put him first in the church and in our own lives. And I'm not saying that as somebody who is there yet, but I want to be. And my prayer is that you do too. Let's pray. as I was preparing for this morning, I had a sense that I was going to be speaking to somebody who needs to come back to Jesus or maybe come to him for the first time. I think you need to know that he knows you. He knows your name. He knows where you are. He's been calling you. And today is the day to come. He's the only one who can give you the life that you want. So, Father, we thank you for your grace expressed in Jesus. We thank you for that long stretch of time in which you've spoken to your people over and over and over again. We pray that you will once again refresh our hearts by helping us reflect on that prophetic word from your word that says, come to me. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Give us the strength and the courage to respond. And Father, we thank you that at the end of his book, with the warning of what was to come, Habakkuk started his prayer with these words. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And Lord, that is, that is our prayer for our time. We have heard of your fame and we stand in awe of who you are and what you've done. But Father, we know that in this country and in this place, you have moved in power in the past. And so we ask, will you repeat those deeds in our day? Father, will you give us that, that Holy Spirit enabling to go and to live for you, to speak for you, to serve you, to honor you? Will you fill us to overflowing with your power, so that when people meet us, they see and they understand that we have been with Jesus. Father, will you move in this country? Will you give us Scotland? It's beyond us but it's not too much for you.
Father, would you bring glory to your name in this country? Amen.